Welcome to Women on the Line, Community Radio's National Women's Current Affairs Programme. Produced at 3CR Community Radio in Melbourne and broadcast on the Community Radio Network. I'm Nicole Kirby. On this week's show, we speak with two talented Palestinian writers. They bring us intimate stories of what it is to be Palestinian, to be active and to express eloquent dissent. From Israel, Khulud Kamis speaks with me about her recent novel Haifa Fragments. And closer to home, in Melbourne, Michaela Saha shares her extraordinary poetry. Inspired by their own experience and that of people around them, they tell tender stories of how living in Israel and the diaspora has its own set of challenges, and ones that we rarely hear about from the mainstream media. Author Khalud Kamis spoke with me first over Skype about her book Haifa Fragments, which was released on International Women's Day. For listeners who aren't familiar with the book, can you give a very brief synopsis? My son is a jewelry designer and she's she's looking for her path in life and she meets uh, several characters during her her journey. Though she has a uh, she's a Christian Palestinian and she has a um, Muslim uh, boyfriend. And she also has contact with the occupied territories, with the West Bank. She has a friend over there, um, a woman, a young woman, and um, there is a story of friendship between them. They also um, uh, explore their sexuality with each other. Um, and then there's there, there's her father. The story focuses on the father also, on his past life. And so you have the, this juxtaposition of uh, of my son's present with her father's past. Mm. I don't want to say uh, too much about the storyline, uh, so I don't spoil it no, for the readers. No spoilers. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. So the central character in your book is an activist, and the story opens with her driving to a checkpoint before dawn to help a Palestinian child seek medical treatment. Can you tell me about what inspired this scenario? Uh, we have this incident all the time that people from the West Bank, they, they have to come into, inside Israel to get um, medical treatment. But not only. Sometimes it's, um, uh, they, they, want, they have uh, events that they want to attend or they have family members and they need to get um, uh, permits from, uh, from, from the military. And um, sometimes they would have the right permit, but they wouldn't be let in. So what I wanted to show here was actually the arbitrariness, the arbitrary nature of, of the occupation that you can, you never know, you know, if, if you will be get, if you will be let in or not. And it doesn't matter if you're sick or whatever the reasons are. It's a sort of strange feeling, I guess, to, to visit friends is mm-hmm. to take your life in your own hands for these, these characters. Yeah. And and so the the character, who is the central character, she's a Christian Palestinian and she's living in Israel. That itself seems to me a really complex identity. Can you tell me a little bit about why you chose this identity for your central protagonist, and does she open up uh, themes that you wanted to explore? Okay, so first of all, about the the fact that she's Christian, um, I didn't I didn't choose her religion um, on purpose. I myself come from a Christian family, so I guess it was more natural for me to write about a um, Christian. uh, But the religion doesn't actually play 
uh, a central part in her personal life. However, since her boyfriend is Muslim, so that kind of brings out this theme of, of you know, the tensions between religions. But religion as per se, as religion in her own life doesn't play a role. So the fact that her boyfriend is Muslim brings out these tensions. Um, her father doesn't, um, you know, he's not happy about her having a uh, Muslim boyfriend. And uh, because these things are still an issue here, um, it's not, it's, it's getting a little bit more accepted to, to have um, people marry from, you know, marry from different religions, uh, Muslims and Christians. But it's still... Um, we still have a long way to go. <laughs> and I chose um, the protagonist to be a Palestinian citizen of Israel because this is where I live. Uh, I cannot, um, you know, I, I wanted to bring out the, per the stories and the narratives of Palestinians within Israel because um, whenever you hear about the conflict, the Palestinian-Israeli conflict, uh, in the mainstream media, you usually hear only about people in the, the Palestinians in the West Bank and in Gaza and we inside Israel are somehow marginalized, and you don't hear quite—you don't hear a lot about the issues that we deal with. A lot of what we hear internationally about Palestinians is Palestinians who live in the West Bank or in Gaza, and we hear a lot less about Palestinians living in Israel, although they're not insignificant in numbers. Mm -hmm. And and so. The book explores the different nature of life and the different kind of daily struggles that are experienced by Palestinians living in Israel and Palestinians living in in the occupied territories of Palestine in, in West Bank and Gaza and through this friendship of these two young women. And while mm -hmm. they might mm -hmm. share culture, decades of uh, occupation have, have given them very different realities in a sort of daily sense. Tell me about the tension between those two groups of people and, and what inspired you to write about that. Okay, so the novel does focus on, focuses more on the Palestinians inside Israel and our lives, but still it has, it has another, um, uh, it has this character um, in the West Bank and uh, the protagonist travels there because it was very important for me to, to yes, include um, um, this this aspect of our life, because we are not, um, we're not separated from, uh, from the West. We are separated physically. There's the apartheid wall, but, you know, it's, uh, we are part of the same people, and it was important for me to show this. Uh, yes, uh, there are definitely um, differences between us today because of this physical separation. Um, they deal with complete, with quite different issues than we deal with. They live under uh, occupation. They don't have the freedom of movement. You know, they need um, um, permits to move from uh, to come over to Israel as they want to. For some come here in search of work. Some for medical treatment. So there is no freedom of movement. Uh, there are raids on um, homes that the military does different um, raids uh, the, when they're searching for suspects or whatever or for no different reason they are always in danger of um, having their homes demolished we on the other hand inside Israel we are officially supposed to be full citizens and equal citizens 
but uh, the situation is not like this. There's a lot of um, state discrimination against us, systematic state discrimination um, in all fields of life, in education, like budgets that go to education, to the Jewish community versus the Palestinian community, um, discrimination in employment, discrimination in access to social services, infrastructure, uh, Arab villages are much worse in terms of infrastructures than um, Jewish settlements, um, you know, you name it. Mm. And one of the, you know, one of the key questions as well for this character who's a Palestinian living in Israel is, um, and what she talks about with uh, her boyfriend and those people around her is how much to resist, how much to be an activist and to fight, and how much to try and have an ordinary life um, as much as possible. Her boyfriend, he doesn't want to deal with this, you know. He's um, uh, this little boy from, from the occupied territories that doesn't get a permit. He kind of, he actually annoys um the boyfriend, the protagonist's boyfriend, uh, because he doesn't want to be faced with this part of his life. But my son, the protagonist, she's, um, yeah, she's an activist. And so, yes, there is always this tension of if I, if I just uh, go on and have my uh, ordinary life or should I be doing something? I think that uh, people uh, have to deal with, uh, people make choices, people have to choose. And it seems to me that some of the main themes that you discuss in this book, if not the literal realities of the the action of the book, are drawn from your own personal experience. Am I right there? It's drawn from experiences here, uh, living here, some from personal experience, some from experience of uh, of my friends. Uh, like there's a uh, short, several scenes where we have this um, international uh, volunteer coming in. And so this is drawn from international volunteers that come here and uh, they are actually, I work for a social organization, so we have uh, a lot of volunteers coming in. And they are literally shocked at the the, the, the militarized public spaces that, that we have here. You know, you go out of the house and you are faced with uh, 18, 19 year old soldiers with machine guns. And this is a daily uh, site in Israel. Mm. And also um, the, the racism uh, that, that, that we face on a daily basis. So this reflects reality, not necessarily uh, specific incidents that, that, that I went through, but, you know, friends or, or uh, stories that I heard. On Community Radio Around Australia, you're listening to Women on the Line. I'm Nicole. You've been hearing from Khalud Karmas, a Palestinian writer and activist who is living in Israel. Her recent novel, Haifa Fragments, tells the tender story of a young woman coming to terms with her family's past and her own present. The story explores what it means to belong and to live as a Christian Palestinian in Israel. I caught up with Khalud over Skype. And of course, there's this dilemma as well with uh, this central character, Mason, living in Israel, a Palestinian, and she starts doing business with a Jewish woman. And this for her is a really 
fraught decision, a really difficult decision to make. Part of the compromise that's involved with eking out a life in a country that is is occupied. Yes, I think that it uh, becomes more prominent this tension because she has um, a relationship with uh, with people from the West Bank. Because here within Israel, you know, we are we constitute 20% of the of the country's population, and the Palestinian society is mostly a rural society. But um, we also live in mixed uh, cities, and uh, um, and we have you know you can't you cannot avoid contact with uh, with with Jews. You just can't. You, uh, we work with them. We have Jewish employers. Uh, we do business with them. Uh, we live with them, but there are certain areas where you can choose. Doing business with a, with a Jewish person is is uh, much more personal um, and much more concrete than than going to the bank to a Jewish bank or uh, so. Yeah, I wanted to show that there is also this this um, this tension. Yeah, and friendships grow in those personal relationships. And that's contrasted with her friend who lives in the West Bank and their family is very strong in their nonviolent resistance to the occupation, boycotting anything and everything that is from Israel. But as you point out, the price is heavy and it's paid mostly by women and children. Mm-hmm. In yeah. Australia, most of the news that we receive from Palestine and Israel is related to the violence of the occupation. But this, as you've said, presents a much more human side to that story uh, and a much, you know, a very unique kind of original um, perspective of life in Israel for a Palestinian. What do you think is the role of creative work by and about Palestinians writing in this very um, tense political context? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so I think that the novel has... Um you know, although you, you mentioned that it, um, it shows a more human experience, but, you know, it shows exactly uh, the, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict because it shows exactly uh, the different ways that the conflict affects our lives. And it reflects the fact that the conflict is there in every waking moment, whether it be in the fact that she... Um, that the protagonist uh, comes across the words death to Arabs, whether she's on the bus and there are soldiers sitting next to her. Um, so it's, it's, it's everywhere, and I wanted to show these aspects of, of the conflict, how it affects our de- daily lives. lives. Um, and I think that, yes, that um, art has a uh, role here, um, I think that we can bring uh, artists in different mediums, you know, writing, painting, poetry, uh, music, theater. Uh, I think that we have a responsibility to bring out um, what you, the, the silenced voices, what you don't hear in the mainstream media. I'm sure that the stories that you, that are in the novel, you know, you don't hear this, it, these voices mm-hmm. in the mainstream media. Uh, that's right. So I think that yes, yeah, yeah. This is this is our role, and I see it as a pers- as a responsibility on my part because uh, I'm a, I'm a feminist activist, and 
I'm, I'm good with words. So I decided, okay, this is going to be the, my medium of, of activism. You know, I also go to demonstrations and I do other things, but this is my main uh, medium uh, to, to write and in English to, to raise our voices and bring our experiences to the rest of the world. And I hope that, that I will succeed in this uh, mission. عبر الجبال عبر البحار مديني في سماكي دعي الهوى ينسج مجراكي عبر الجبال عبر البحار خديني في سماكي دعي الهوى ينسج مجراكي That was Khalud Kamis, Palestinian author and activist, speaking with me about her recent novel, Haifa Fragments, which was released on International Women's Day. The book is published by Spinifex Press and can be found at their website or in bookshops. You're listening to Women on the Line, produced in the studios of 3CR Melbourne and broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. I'm Nicole. Next up, we hear from a Palestinian writer much closer to home. Michaela Saha is a writer based in Melbourne, and she shared her poetry with us for women on the line. My first poem is not about Palestine as such, but a lot of my practice works with themes of absence, themes of desire. I'm constantly looking back at things I used to have and fantasising their loss. A great novel from the 90s begins, all stories are love stories, and I think I internalise that. I think all stories about Palestine are surely love stories. Palestine is absolutely a labour of love. Dead Letter Reconstituted Notes, 2007. Long since, I lost the taste of you who used to drop in the window, all hours, no phone. At this time, I filled books with words, hoping their accumulation might be the Rumpelstiltskin that would name what waking next to you. We never took photos together after it became known how documentation of mirrors invalidates the subject or we feared an imprint of the viewer. Whatever you call him, one nude is not so dissimilar from another. I lost the shape of you long since. <laughs> My second poem is about a Palestinian refugee camp in the West Bank called Janine. 
Recently, it's famous for the Freedom Theatre. But before that, the camp was literally flattened by the Israeli military during an operation in 2002. In my academic practice, I do a lot of work on that operation and about Janine specifically. Recently, I was on a panel talking about Janine and a man from the audience got up and asked to speak. He was from Janine. I'd never met anyone who grew up there before. His commentary was so moving and I wrote this poem shortly after I met him. Its title refers to the language that Israeli politicians have been using to describe Palestinians for decades. It is said that all Palestinians are suspect until proven guilty. They refer to Palestinians as the cancer of terrorism and towns as the nest of terrorism or the cobra's head of terrorism in the case of Janine. This poem is called On Kinds of Nests. Not weighing up evidence, but studying character, I turned to examine the side of your face at precisely the moment you started reciting dates. 2002, 2003, 2004, blood in the streets, 2005. 2006, my language is fucked, 2007, years of no school, deaths of your mates, one murdered by an assassin so certain they shot him behind the wheel while his infant witnessed the scene. I wanted to stay in doubt, no part of me not appalled by the shells raining past onto shocked faces, never before having heard the name of Janine until six exact minutes earlier as I made it. I wanted to stay in doubt but could not remove black and white images Cited 2009 from my mind, their memory the prick of a forgotten fork in a bag. After the tanks rolled out over the literal tops of neighbourhoods torn down, it was suggested that in the rebuilding town planners ought to measure new streets to the width of D9 caterpillars. When I started researching my PhD... I read a lot of Palestinian testimony in international reports about military operations in the occupied Palestine territories. It was just after the first massive assault on Gaza in 2008 and 9, Operation Kasled. It was traumatising reading, and actually I don't write about Palestinian accounts of these events, but about the way Western media accepts Israeli narrative about why these things happen. But I wanted to record the sheer horror of it all somewhere, And although I've scarcely begun that project, the next poem was my first attempt at pitting Palestinian narrative against the ones that the West accepts. Shrinking. Policing over the possible Dagan, I note down now how you would note rumours as facts, surveying a space where, it was said, the dead even then had no land, as those who still made sound scooped trenches for an olive grove, whose massive roots heaved like a pod of whales, beached. I saw the tightness of their skins on television, around the foreign bodies you kept moving, heeding how a resting shark will drown. This is a deconstruction of facticity, you said, burning objects as like as people who flock yet vaporous through prostrated trees.
This is Women on the Line, and you're listening to the poetry of Michaela Saha. This next poem is my own Romeo and Juliet story. When I first went to Palestine, I distinctly remember my mother saying, I don't want some stupid West Side Story romance. I'm not sure I meant to, but there was something irresistible about the fact that his current address was a 10-minute walk from my family's home in West Jerusalem, of which they were dispossessed, as many others were in the Palestinian Nakba, although the house remains largely unchanged and is still there today. Absentia. I count what was lost in Saturdays, the giddiness of our time difference nine hours, tempering the drag of mid-afternoons until six when it was almost decent to check in, are you awake? Wanting to ascertain if this was a Saturday when we would finish a bottle of wine, my night half gone, or a long neck before guests arrived. Sometimes, visiting my people, you wouldn't drink, saying they didn't understand. And although we no longer speak, the giddiness doesn't know that. I still watch the clock. What I wonder about in the newfound hours is whether you ever walk past my house, ten minutes from yours, and pick Bougainvillea to sit through the week in your unused coffee pot. <laughs> The last poem is, I think, the most radical. It is about my return to the family home in Jerusalem. And it is about the thing that makes the Israeli state so uncomfortable. That even after all these years we identify, even in the diaspora, as Palestinians. That even in the diaspora we are still invested and rooted in particular villages, particular places. This poem takes the name of my address in Jerusalem. Eight Asses Street, Greek Colony, on my father's restoration. Now I am here, beneath the centenarian wires of Bougainvillea, I pass into the era of my spectrehood. Despite your divestments, systematic, grouted tiles, sometimes rageful, half-stripped papering, even from across the street that I can lie in the house against each gutting with the seismic breath of a memory, its recital of Stradivarius. These things you can't see but sensed the day you invited a sidewalk letterer to depict on our gate pillar this way to the bomb shelter. That was the poetry of Michaela Saha, Melbourne-based Palestinian writer, poet and academic. You've been listening to the voices of two very talented Palestinian women writers, bringing us a taste of life in the diaspora and in Israel. 
That was the poetry of Michaela Saha. I'm Nicole, and this is Women on the Line. Earlier in the show, you heard Kalud Kamas speaking about her recent novel, Haifa Fragments. You can find Haifa Fragments in bookshops and on the Spinifex Press website. That's all for Women on the Line today. Women on the Line is Community Radio's National Women's Current Affairs Program. It's produced and presented by a range of women broadcasters from 3CR in Melbourne and broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. We greatly appreciate financial support from the Community Broadcasting Foundation. We welcome your comments and thoughts on today's show, so send us an email to womenontheline at hotmail.com or phone 3CR on 03 9419 Women on the Line programs can be downloaded from our website, womenontheline.org.au. The music that you've heard on today's show is Fakuti, My Bubble, by Ruba Shamshum. The theme music for Women on the Line is Slideshow at Free University by La Tigre. I'm Nicole Kirby. I hope you can join us again next time. Mm-hmm.